midweek Bible study. Tonight's message is, uh, is, a, is a great message right out of one of the Psalms, and I hope that you'll follow along. Uh, does anybody did not grab one of the outlines tonight? Just slip your hand up, maybe Brother Gusley. Anybody at all needs one? Brother Wally? Anybody else needs one of these? Want to make sure everybody's got one. You can follow along here. But if you if you look here tonight, and we'll go through this psalm, so I'm not going to take the time to read it as we get, begin tonight. But this psalm, Psalm 9, as we're going through the psalms, this is a, a, an amazing psalm because it's one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament. There's, a, there's great profound uh, prophecy about the future, and that's why I've entitled this Things to Come. And I want you to see this in the psalm tonight. It begins, first of all, with the delight of the prophet, the delight of the prophet. Now, Psalm 9 uh, is a psalm that was written by David. Now, we all know that David was king, but David also was a prophet. And as you study the psalms, many of David's prophecies are recorded in the Word of God. They, they have been recorded and preserved by God. And as you read through those, and you'll see it tonight if you're paying attention, that there is a lot of theology in the Old Testament that's embedded in the Psalms. Now, remember what the word psalm means, psalm. Uh, I find as I, I, I try to work with folks and I've seen people use different methods of trying to get people to understand or to memorize certain portions of the Word of God, that there's, there's a mnemonic tool that when you put something to song, it's easier to remember it. And it's interesting that even in the Psalms, the book of songs, they sang these. We find this tremendous psalm on this matter of Old Testament prophecy. And that is what we see here, that in this psalm, David is looking at the end times. Now, you know, nobody knows. The Bible says no man know the day nor the hour. Uh, nobody can set a date. Uh, we just understand that uh, the Lord's return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. Uh, we need to live our lives that way, that the Lord could return today. Uh, but nonetheless, until the Lord comes back, I think that we ought to understand uh, how God has given us His Word and how it's structured together. And so when we talk about this, if we were going to call it a doctrine, it would be known as eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, or it deals with the end times. Now, a lot of people are enamored with old, with old and New Testament prophecy. Some of the prophecies of the Bible have already been fulfilled. Some prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. And so what we're looking at tonight, if it's dealing with the end times, it is things that have not yet happened that are yet to come. When David was on this earth and he was living his life, David encountered a lot of things. Uh, one of the things, it seemed like for a period of his life, it seemed like every time he turned around, there was a new foe, a new enemy uh, that he had to face. But the one thing I love about studying his life is this, that David was a man, because of God's work in his life, he was victorious over his enemies. And so it will be, as you look at this psalm tonight, if it's dealing with the end times, David was the king over the people of Israel. And understand that prophetically, this period we're going to look at tonight deals with God's people, the nation of Israel. So if David was victorious, and this is a prophetic psalm, 
then notice that it will be the same way with the people whom David was ruler over. In other words, as David was victorious, they will be victorious. Now, the one thing about our lives is, listen, we are not a part of the nation of Israel. We are not Jews unless you're a Jew by birth. But understand this, that when we got saved, we who are in Christ, that the Lord wants us to be, have a victorious Christian life. God wants us to live on the victory side. And the only way that we can have the victory is through Jesus Christ. So there is victory for the child of God, whether you are one of the nation of Israel or one of, one of the Gentile nations and you know Christ as your Savior. And when you look at this psalm tonight, Israel, uh, going through this period we're going to look at, known as the Great Tribulation, it will enter one day into what is known as the Millennial Kingdom. Now, again, you have to understand, and, and I'll get into some of this, uh, it, it's hard to cover a, a topic and a subject like this all in one setting. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to confine myself to this particular psalm. In other words, there's so much more eschatology, there's so much more end-time prophecy. Uh, I can't even scratch the hem of the garment with it tonight, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do justice to this particular psalm. But the next thing that happens on God's timetable would be known as the rapture. This is all that are saved. The Bible talks about we will be caught up together with Him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the rapture, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. So you have the rapture. Now when the rapture takes place, all the saved are taken out of this world. So who does that leave? That leaves all the unsaved people. And when the saved are gone, it begins a period known as the time of tribulation. The time of tribulation, according to the Word of God, is a seven-year period. That seven-year period is divided into a three-and-a-half-year, three-and-a-half-year periods with there being a division right in the middle of that seven-year period. It also is divided this way. It's called the time of tribulation, but the second half of that, which is the second three and a half years, is known as the great tribulation. Uh, there, the Bible speaks specifically about things that are going to happen in that second three and a half years, and it's important for us to understand all this because you have the rapture, the saved will go out of this world, then you have the tribulation period, which takes place on this earth, for seven years, and at the end of the seven years of tribulation, the Lord will come back. That is known as the second coming of Christ. Now, the reason we don't call when Jesus comes back to rapture us out, we don't call that the second coming because Jesus isn't going to come to this earth. He's going to be in the air, and we will go up to meet him in the air. Uh, so when we talk about Christmas, which is just a few weeks away, that's the first advent or the first coming of Christ, all right? So there's a little bit of a lesson for you. I want to make sure that we all understand this is what the Scriptures teach. This is what we find in the Word of God. Now, this period known as the tribulation, uh, this is what this psalm focuses around tonight. So I wanted you to get the context a little bit. And when I read this and studied this, it almost seems like when you read these 
this psalm that even as in David's day when he wrote it, uh, you can almost sense that it wasn't necessarily David writing, and we, we understand because it's prophetic to us still, it wasn't like David was writing in present tense. Matter of fact, when you read it, it almost seems like it was written from the other side of the millennium, uh, the millennial age. And I want you to keep that in mind as we look at it because David talks about this uh, great tribulation and David shows how God's troubled saints during this time period. Notice, first of all, that they will praise the Lord freely. Now look what it says in verse number one of Psalm 9. Look at these words. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. This kind of victory where he says, I will praise thee. It's that kind of victory that actually makes the host of hell uh, uh, very upset and, and very angry and infuriated because Jesus, listen, the devil thought that he had the victory when Jesus was crucified, but we all know that Jesus turned the crucifixion into a coronation, uh, that it wasn't the end. I mean, they thought that they had won, but yet we know that the scriptures teach otherwise. And so the delight of the prophet was, is that even though it's this time period that the, the saint would praise the Lord freely, but then notice that they would praise the Lord fully. Now look back again in verse number one, he says this, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Notice it wasn't a half-heartedness. Uh, even during this difficult time where there, there is trouble during this, uh, this time of tribulation on the earth, that we should praise the Lord fully. Uh, David, listen, as David wrote many of the Psalms, David wrote them in times of great trial, uh, times of great affliction. And David, as he was writing, listen, David wasn't giving God, as they call it, lip service. He wasn't just saying it with his mouth, David really was with his whole heart. He was loving the Lord. He was fully loving the Lord. And I think the lesson for us, especially going through the time of Christmas, that God doesn't want us to be half-hearted in, in our serving Him. Uh, God wants us to have a wholehearted uh, attitude of gratitude and praise in our lives. He wants us to praise Him not only freely, but God wants us to praise Him fully with my whole heart. And so I love how this psalm starts in verses 1 and 2. It's the delight of the prophet that even though this is going on, he says, listen, I can still praise the Lord. I love it tonight. Uh, and listen, I, I, I always want to hear prayer requests. We want to pray for one another. We want to lift one another up when it comes to prayer requests. But it was sure refreshing tonight to hear a praise from this person and a praise from that person and a praise from that person. A lot of times we don't hear any, any praises. We hear all the prayer requests. Can I tell you, listen, we always have something to praise God for. And that's what David's talking about here. David says, look, it's my delight. He says, I will praise thee, O God. And so it begins, listen, this prophetic psalm. It begins with the delight of the prophet, but notice how it turns, secondly, 
to the destruction of the beast. Now, if it's talking about this time of tribulation, this is dealing with David's vision of the end times. Now, remember, because David was a prophet, he wasn't writing what he thought. The Bible is God's word. It's not man's word. And so David here writes, and he talks about, first of all, the Lord's presence. Look in verse number three. He says, when mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Notice he says, at thy presence. He's talking about the, the, the presence of the Lord. And what we sense here is the thrill of David that, listen, God's not dead. God's in this thing, even though it's a time of tribulation. And, and here's what we see is he, 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 he's dealing with an individual that's going to come into view during this time of tribulation. And the Bible calls that individual the beast. Now, when you first see the beast revealed in Scripture, many believe, especially many Jews, will believe that that individual, whoever it may be, will, will seem to be their Messiah. Because remember, the Bible says because of the unbelief of the Jew, the gospel, the good news, went forth to the Gentile nations. If you talk to any Jew today, they will tell you that they're still waiting for the Messiah. I remember, and Brother Robert and others that went to the Holy Land, I remember, Miss Martha, when we were standing up on that, that, that uh, bridge that went up above the, the wailing wall, the western wall, and there was a, an entire group of, of teenage girls, and they were singing a song. Of course, I didn't understand it because it was in Hebrew, but I asked our guide, I said, what are they singing? And he started to sing it. While they were singing it, he was singing it in the Hebrew, and then he switched it into English. And I, what I understood him to say is they were singing, we wait for you, Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah. So when this, this beast comes on the scene, uh, they're going to believe, they're going to seem like he is their Messiah. And this, the Bible records that he is going to He's going to be a smooth talker. He's going to be maybe a politician. He's going to promise peace. Listen, no man can promise peace. Now you go all the way back to the beginning of times in the Word of God, and because you have man, and because you have pride and sin and arrogancy, there is always going to be fighting. There's never going to be peace on earth. That's why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we see that he's describing the Lord's presence in this passage. He says, look, this individual, the beast, is going to promise God's people for seven years. But at the end of that first half of that time of tribulation, he's going to break his promise. Daniel talked about it. He called it the abomination of desolation. And as a result of that, that, that promise that he made will be broken and then his, his adversary, uh, who's going to his cohort that is known as the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet, the two of them together will then set up an image in the temple and they will, they will basically command that everyone bows down to that image. Kind of reminds you of the book of Daniel, right? When they set up the image and they said everyone must bow down. And remember those Hebrew children that said, listen, uh, we were instructed by our God that there shall be no other gods before me. 
and they said, we will not bow down. And they, because they wouldn't, they got cast in the burning, fiery furnace. You remember the story? But here's what we see is the same thing is going to take place, that the beast and false prophet are going to set up this image, and all people at this particular time, the Bible records that they must receive what is known as the mark of the beast. Uh, see, this is going to be a time where just like now, where we have maybe we have money, currency, we've got credit cards, we're able to buy things and sell things. But see, when this time comes, according to the scriptures, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy, you won't be able to sell. It's going to be a very difficult day, especially for the saints of God during this time period. But the, when this peace pact is broken, this time period will then begin what is known as the Great Tribulation. Now, again, the Bible has much more to say about this, but I want you to understand that during this time of the Great Tribulation, that the Jewish people in particular are going to suffer uh, immensely during this time. But the Bible says that at the end of this time period, although it's three and a half years, that suddenly that period known as the Great Tribulation will be over. It will come to a stop. And the way it does is the Bible says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, I'm kind of going through this a little bit quick. So some of you that know your Bible, you're probably following along with me. Some of you that maybe not, may not be as well-versed in some of your theology or eschatology, you might need to take the Scriptures tonight and just kind of chew on it, look in the Word of God a little bit more. But I want you to get what this psalm is dealing with. Look what it records in Zechariah, the Old Testament, in chapter 12 and verse number 10, dealing with the sign of the Son of Man appearing in the sky. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Remember what they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says they're going to look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. You know what Zechariah is describing there? That finally the Jews will realize at that point that Jesus really is the true Messiah. They missed it. They didn't really fully understand it when he was here. And the beast and the false prophet, what happens to them when the Son of Man comes? Well, according to the Scriptures, they are cast into the lake of fire alive. Look what it says in Revelation 19.20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that were received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now, when the Son of Man comes, His second coming, the manifestation, they'll see Him coming. And so the manifestation of the Lord's presence will be all that is needed to break the devil's stranglehold on this world. Because right now, the Bible says He is the prince and power of the air. The devil is just having his way. He's having a party with the people of this world today because instead of people 
focusing and wanting God in their lives. They're just living, just having, having a high time in their lives doing whatever they want. But we see here that David talks about, he writes about how he is thrilled because of the Lord's presence. But then notice also in verse number four, we see not only the presence of the Lord, but we see the throne of, uh, that, that's mentioned here with David. Look at verse number four. He says, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause, thou settest in the throne judging right. Now, again, Zechariah describes this time period. He says in Zechariah 14, 9, the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day there shall there be one Lord and his name one. See, right now, they wanted Jesus when he was on this earth. They wanted him to establish his kingdom. But remember, Jesus could not establish his kingdom because he had to go to the cross. He had to give his life so that we can have eternal life someday. And so Jesus had to go to the cross. And as a result of that, he ascended to be with the Father, which is where he is today. He established the church, which is now the, the vehicle that God is using to get the gospel, the good news into the world today. But understand, the day that this psalm is describing is a day that's coming. Now, we could sit back and we could say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to miss out on what you're preaching about tonight. Psalm 9 doesn't really affect me. Can I tell you that that is not a very good attitude to have according to this passage of Scripture because anyone that we know that isn't saved will go through this time period. They will go through these many things that the book of Revelation describes that will take place during this time frame. And we need to see how important it is that, that the Lord Jesus Christ came and he will come again. Now, the throne that David is describing here, that when the Lord Jesus comes back in Zechariah, what he's going to do is he is going to set his foot down on the Mount of Olives. We were there, uh, right there at the Mount of Olives where Jesus spent time as he was on this earth. And when Jesus comes back, he will set up his kingdom and he will be in the exact same place where uh, among the many parables that Jesus spoke, there was one in particular that at the time they didn't really understand it. It was the parable of the sheep and goats. Now again, the Bible likens the children of God to sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. See, people who are saved are referred to as sheep, but people who do not know Christ as their Savior are referred to as goats. And Jesus uttered this parable when he was on the Mount of Olives. When he comes back, the nations are going to be assembled before him, and the Lord's, here's what's going to happen is, he will select, and by the way, he knows which sheep are his. There will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, but yet they never knew him. And the Lord will know who is his own, and he will select those that express their opposition when the beast and the false prophet were in control of this world. And he will select those that express their belief in God. They were against the beast and the false prophet, but they believed in God. And it's important that we understand that because those that have believed on the Lord during this time of tribulation, when the Lord comes back, the saved will stand on his right hand. 
over against Jerusalem. Look at Matthew 25, 33. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now, here's the amazing thing is, I, I was thinking about this while I was studying this, this psalm. David is writing this. And it's evident that David, although he knew some of the history, remember, this is still prophecy to us today in 2018. So David really could not see all of this in sharp focus. Uh, I imagine David probably thought to himself, now, Lord, what is this really all about, you know? Uh, if you're like me, a lot of times, I've, I don't know how many times I've read the book of Revelation and I still say to myself, what is this all about? <laughs> I've never known somebody that knows everything about the book of Revelation or parts of the book of Ezekiel or parts of the book of Daniel. But understand that God wants us to see that, yes, David says, I'm delighted in the Lord. But he says that when I think about it, there's going to be the destruction of the beast. Now, notice that David talked about the Lord's presence, but then he also shares about the Lord's power because, yes, the Lord will be there, but we need to remember that our God is an almighty God. He is a powerful God. And look at verse number five in the first part of that verse. He says, thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. The Lord's destruction of the beast, it, according to the scriptures, it's going to be personal. Notice, thou hast. The, the Lord is the one. Look, we are no match for the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the, the, the destruction of the beast by the Lord, it will be personal, but it will also be permanent. Because again, verse number five says, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. So God will eradicate the name of the beast. And then notice that the Lord's destruction of the beast, it's also going to appear proper. If you go back and study all those who were conquerors in this world, like Alexander the Great or uh, any other history figure that you might think of tonight, that those world figures, what they did was they, they would leave a trail of destruction behind them. And that's exactly what the beast will do. He'll leave a trail of destruction behind him, but because of the power of the Lord, listen to this, that what he did to others will be done to him. What he did to others will be done to him. Psalm 34, 16, look at the verse. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Well, look at verse number five again. The Bible says in the end of that, thou, God, has put out their name forever and ever. And so we see here the power of God that, that he is able to destroy the beast. And when the beast is destroyed, notice thirdly, David writes about the dawn of the millennium. Because when this time of tribulation ends, the destruction of the beast, the banishment of the lost from the earth will lead directly to this this reign of Christ, it's the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's clear in the Word of God. And David talks about this millennial, the dawn of the millennium, and he gives two features that make this time period, this thousand-year reign, a time that I would call like a golden age. Notice, first of all, 
he says the Lord, his, his invincible majesty during this time. Look at verse number 7. The Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. See, unlike his enemies, God will be here forever. Uh, you think about this. How many people in history have tried to do away with any semblance of God? They, remember Hitler tried to destroy all the Bibles? Remember how people have just been trying to do away with God? Uh, how about America where they took prayer and the Bible out of the schools and the commandments away from our courthouses? They've been trying everything they could to get rid of God, but yet the Bible says that the Lord will be there forever. In other words, he's talking about the majesty of the Lord, this millennial reign. He's talking about the throne of God, the empire of God. What a king he's describing here, the king of kings and Lord of lords. And look what the psalm said, Psalm 102, 12. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Hey, remember what happened to the beast? God will eradicate his name. Nobody will ever remember him. He's gone forever. But yet the Bible says that the Lord shall endure forever. See, the Lord's invincible majesty, David writes about, but then notice the Lord's impartial ministry in verse number eight. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Anybody else like me growing kind of weary of all the injustice in the world today? I mean, you know, you think to yourself, how in the world did we get in this mess that we're in? You know, I had a man stop by my office today and we had a long talk and he was telling me about really some wicked things that his employer is, is doing to him at his work and how uh, they're basically uh, accusing him of things that are not true and they're and they're trying to force him out of his job. And, uh, and he's like, I've, I've talked to a lawyer. Uh, he, he, you know, he was just very despondent about it. But listen, this psalm, you know what it's describing is? Is that one day there will be no more injustice. There will be no more corruptness. There will be no more unfairness. You know why? Because the Lord will rule and reign. Uh, the Lord will be uh, sitting on his throne. No longer will wrong be on the throne. It, it's like what Jesus described in Matthew 19, 28. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you. Now remember, this is when he was on this earth. Here's what he said to them. That ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory... Ye also shall sit upon 12, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, he's describing to those that were his disciples, his apostles, he's describing to them that his justice, the king's justice, will be one that will be an impartial righteousness, that no longer would there be injustice in this world. And so he, talking about the destruction of the beast, when the beast and the false prophet are gone, then we find this dawning of the millennium. Now, notice number four, what does he move to next in the psalm? Well, he talks about the duration of the terror, the duration of the terror, because David, again, through God, allowing him to write these words, David is describing and he's seeing these dark scenes of what is known as the great tribulation, that second half of the time of tribulation. 
Now, Daniel in the Old Testament wrote about it too. Look what Daniel said in Daniel 9, 27. And he shall confirm, here it is, the covenant with many for one week. Now, that one week is descriptive of seven years. But notice, in the midst of the week, three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So this duration, this time of terror that they're going to go through, uh, for those that, that would go through this time period that know the Lord, David gives us some things to help us during this duration. Notice, first of all, he describes it as a place of refuge. Look at verse number 9 as we're just going verse by verse in Psalm 9. Verse 9 and 10, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Notice again, the Lord also will be a what? A refuge. Now, the word refuge there, sometimes in the scriptures, like right here, here's what it's referring to. It's actually making reference to a high tower is what it's making reference to. Reference, reference to. So David, understanding his life, we talked a little bit about this in Psalm 1 and 2. David was no stranger to people coming after him, trying to take his life. Remember how David ran from Saul many times. Uh, David ran from Absalom and those that, that were with Absalom, and David hid from them. And David, in his life, just like us, when we're having difficult times in our lives and we feel like we're being attacked, like I told that man today, that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, you know what we need when we're going through times like that? We need a high tower. We need a place of safety, a place of security, some place that we can go to. Well, listen, can I tell you, we're not talking about something that man built that you can climb up into just to get away. The Bible says the Lord is our refuge. David knew when I'm going through this, that if there's one place that I can go where I can feel safe, I can run to the Lord. He found refuge in the Lord. Psalm 32, 7, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. Uh, folks, listen, during this time of tribulation, the saints of God that are being persecuted, they will find, even during that time, they're going to find a high tower, which is the Lord. And so David describes the place of refuge, but notice he describes, secondly, it, it, it as the period of rejoicing. Now you say, period of rejoicing during the time of tribulation when they're being uh, persecuted and, and they're suffering? Yeah, listen, the scriptures tell us, look at verse number 11, sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion, declare among the people his doings. When's the last time you, I, I said that to the guy today? I said, listen, your boss that is being that way towards you, I said, maybe, maybe what God wants you to do is maybe God wants you to be a witness to him. Maybe God, I said, I can already tell you by what you've told me, 
because you haven't lashed back at him, because it, you haven't cursed back at him the way he has at you, because you haven't accused him the way he's accused you. I said, I guarantee you, he already knows there's something different about you. Because even by your silence, sometimes you are declaring God's doing in your life, what God has done for you. And so he's describing this tribulation time as a period of rejoicing. Now listen, it's going to be a period that, yes, when you study the scriptures in more detail, it's a period that's very sharp, the things that are going to happen. But even though it's sharp, it's going to be a short period. I mean, the time will be short. Once it's over, then according to the scriptures, the world will resound with songs. You say, do you believe that? Well, listen, do you remember what happened on 9-11 in America? And it seems like we've forgotten about it. It seems like America's got a song again. And it's easy sometimes when you get past it that the rejoicing will come back. And David described it as the period of rejoicing. But notice, thirdly, he described it as the process of retribution. The process of retribution. Look at verse 12 of our psalm. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble when I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. Now, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that they had these cities of refuge, and they had when, when someone shed blood, in other words, somebody took someone's life, the Bible described that there was one known as the avenger of blood. By man's blood was shed, then again, we find that this was what God gave in the Old Testament. What's, what's awesome is when you study the scriptures, especially when you get to this time period, let me tell you who the avenger of mankind becomes, Jesus. He is the one that becomes the avenger of blood. And notice what the Bible says in, in our New Testament in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. The Bible says, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. It's talking about where we are tonight in Psalm 9. By the mystery of iniquity doth, uh, for the mystery of iniquity doth all work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now that's making a, a description of the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is here, he's dwelling in us. But notice what it continues to say. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, notice the power of God, shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So he's talking here about this process of retribution. Remember what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The Lord will get retribution when he returns, that, that the Lord Jesus will consume with the spirit of his mouth. He will destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so he describes here this whole matter of the terror and the duration of the terror. He also mentions, fifthly in this psalm, the day of the Lord. 
Because when you, you find the scriptures, it talks about this period known as the day of the Lord. It's when the tribulation is over and it is finished. Notice, first of all, something is needed to be perceived. Something is needed to be perceived. In other words, we just mentioned, and I asked you, and I think almost all of you agreed, that we're, we're as human beings, we're tired of the injustice in this world. But God's poetic justice, you even find it in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament or our Bibles. How about this one? This is the one that always gets me. Remember Haman? Remember, remember what he prepared? Gallows? And remember where Haman spent the last breath of his life? Hanging from those gallows. That's God's poetic justice. In other words, a lot of times we get all anxious, we get all excited about What's going to happen? How is it all going to play out? Can I tell you that God is in control? And the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes we, we might think about God's justice. Because, it, listen, it, it, it may not always seem obvious to us. And it may not always take place as swiftly you know, a lot of times I know that I'm kind of like the disciples, you know, hey, Lord, can we just call down fire on them right now? Can we just, you know, take their ear off? Can we just do something about it? But again, all things are done in God's timing. And we see that, that something needs to be perceived. And here's what we need to perceive is, is that God's justice is sure. That's one thing that we know that God will take care of it. So something needed to be perceived here. But then notice I also see that something needed to be proclaimed. Because as we think about this, look at verse number 17. Actually, let's back up to verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands, Higion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Now, listen, one thing that I've learned over the years, and I wasn't very good about this early on in my Christian life, but I'm glad people were patient with me. I think we ought to be uh, like Jesus. Jesus spoke the truth in love, right? And if you notice there, the Bible, the Bible says, not, not we should say, the Bible says that the wicked shall be turned into hell. And sometimes I used to go out uh, door knocking with a guy in St. Louis area, and, and when we knock, he'd knock on a door when it was his turn to talk, and they'd answer the door, and he, there was no rapport. He didn't say, hi, my name is so-and-so, you know, I'm from such-and-such -such church, you know, and, and just kind of uh, talk to them for a little while. As soon as they'd open the door, he'd say, he'd say listen, are, do you know for sure you're going to heaven or are you going to hell? And can I tell you, this is the truth. Every time I went over that guy, I never saw him win one soul to Christ. Because I really believe that there is a right way to do it. That people need to understand the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. And just like God, I see here in verse number 17, what is God's attitude towards the nations? Well, the context, listen, you, you have to get the, the whole picture here in Psalm 9. The context is the great tribulation and the time known as the Battle of Armageddon. And Job put it this way. He said, So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrites' hope shall perish. In other words, like verse number 17, 
the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. In other words, that's what we need to proclaim is, listen, you need to turn to God before it's eternally too late. Uh, because if you don't turn to God, then you will. Remember, listen, there's only two choices, right? There's no more purgatory, even according to the Catholic Church. There's only heaven and hell. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then according to the Scriptures, you're going to be turned one day into a place called hell. But as you look at this, we need to proclaim this because this is God's attitude towards the nation. But notice also God gives His attitude towards the needy. Look at verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Now, when you see even Jesus in his ministry on this earth, Jesus talked a lot about the poor. And he said in Matthew 26, 11, For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. He's talking here about the poor, the presence of the poor. You, you, listen, here's what happens is, because of the presence of poor in this world, you know what it does? It gives God's people, Christians, an opportunity to display the love of God. Because God has been so good to us that we should reach out to those that are needy. Boy, this Christmas season, instead of focusing on what can I get, let's focus on what can I give? Who can I give something to? People that, don't, that are less fortunate than we are, and that's what he's focusing on. But the presence of the poor he's talking about, look at Proverbs 19. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath, he hath given will he pay him again. Isn't it interesting that God will take care of you, that in the coming days, look, even when you study the scriptures, here's what you find is, yes, there are poor in this world today, but one day Jesus, just like the name of the beast, he'll eradicate it, that one day the poor will be abolished. Look what Micah 4.4 4 says, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. In other words, in the millennial reign of Christ, that all men, all women, everyone in this world, they will all be increased with goods and they'll have need for nothing. Now, isn't that interesting? Because that is completely opposite of what's going to take place during the tribulation. Because if they don't buy into what the beast is saying, then they can't buy, they can't sell, they will not be increased with goods. As a matter of fact, They'll starve many of them to death for their faith in Christ. So we see here that he's talking about this matter of the day of the Lord. And then notice how this psalm ends. And I love the ending of the psalm. He talks about the doctrine of the song. Now, when we talk about doctrine, what are we talking about? The glue that holds us together. And so when we look at this psalm, listen, we've covered a lot of things. We've gone through a lot here in this psalm tonight. But I want you to see the last two verses because... This is really the heart of Psalm number 9. Look at verse 19. David says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Now here's what he's saying. That the nations, we're living in a day where nations have risen 
Uh, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of competition. I mean, every time you turn on the news, you see this nation with this nation. There's all this going on. There's arrogancy. There's resentfulness. There's aggression towards uh, other nations as never before. And isn't it interesting that at the end of this prophetic psalm, what does David do? David says a simple prayer that we know in our Bible is two verses. And what is David praying? Well, he's praying that the nations would learn that they're mortals. That's what he's praying. That they would understand, because the word man here is actually dealing with mortal man. The doctrine of this psalm, here it is, that God is God and man is man. He says that man needs to understand, even though he's clever and crafty, that at best he is only man. But God is God. And that's what David wants us to take with us in this psalm. So when I look at this things to, the, to come psalm, this prophetic psalm, one thing I want to make sure is, number one, that I'm on the right side of it. And number two, that even though I know all this truth, that I want to make sure that I'm sharing the truth with others that don't know it so that they don't have to go through what was described not only in this psalm, but in many other places in our Bibles. Listen, I hope maybe something tonight uh, helped you, but I hope that it maybe something piqued your curiosity because there's a whole lot of prophecy that goes along with this psalm that really you can dive into. The book of Revelation is full of a lot of what we described here tonight along as well in some portions in the Old Testament. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to remember this, but also that we would take it with us and, and let this soak into our hearts that we would be wholehearted towards the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you again for our study tonight. What a deep study it's been. Lord, there's so many things that we could have spent just, just weeks and weeks and months on talking about. Lord, I'm thankful for one psalm that we looked at tonight that was a song that they used to sing. And I know that every time they sung it, they were thinking about what is the, what is the meaning behind this psalm? What does it really, how does it involve us? And what should we do with it? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not just know that this is Psalm 9 in our Bible, but what does it mean to us? What does it mean to this world that we live in? Lord, you have given us, you've, you've rolled back the, the curtain so that we can see a little bit of what's going to happen in the future. I pray that you'd help us to have a consciousness about it. And Lord, bless as you, only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.